0: He is risen, he is risen, it's good, so we have a few people who grew up in mainline Christian traditions who know the call and response of he is risen, for some of us who maybe grew up in evangelical worlds or charismatic worlds, we're like, what are people doing right now, what, what is this, I know, I told Austin this morning, I said, now when people say he is risen, you're supposed to say he is risen indeed back, he's like, I'm going to forget that, I'm just going to tell them have a good day, um, <clears throat> But it's good. This is space for us to learn different traditions and ways that will exist within Christianity. And so on this day, we stop and we do remember. We remember that the last six weeks of Lent, that we have extinguished a candle each week and then the Christ candle extinguished on Good Friday. All of the light returns here now on this Easter Sunday. It's been a long six weeks and to be honest with you, this time last year, I was bracing myself, and the Heights and I were trying to figure out how we were going to pivot everything we were doing during Lent and Holy Week to go online. And at that moment, I remember saying to myself, all right, this will just be a few months, and that passed. It'll just be six months, I said to myself. I listened to every news station and all their predictions and ideas of how long this would go, and everyone kept moving the mile markers. Phases were introduced, and all of a sudden I thought, boy, this seems very hard to get to phase five. I thought, well, maybe it'll all be done by 2021, right? How many of you did that, right? It'll all be done by 2021. Like, it'll be, it has to only be a year, right? Well, here we are. It's been over a year. And i tell you what, I, I was a bit frustrated when it came time for Holy Season because I thought, no, again, we have to figure out how to pivot and make this Holy Season accessible, not just to those who can attend in person and have been vaccinated or feel comfortable but also those at home. And what does that look like? And I so desperately wanted to hear the room full with all the voices singing again. I so desperately wanted to see the children meet me at the back door on their way out with their Easter dresses on and me to tell them what I always tell them, give me a spin. I so desperately wanted this season to be different than last season. And yet we are in this weird in-between where it's here, but it's not fully yet here. Normalcy. And quite frankly, none of us want to return to normal. We want things to be better than normal because quite frankly, the normal that was before wasn't always equitable or inclusive or good for everyone. And perhaps this last year has exposed some of the inequities that exist in our world. But we wait. We wait in the tension of things to still go back to better than normal. And I'm gonna tell you, I'm I'm tired. I'm tired of this long season that lasted longer than I expected. Most of us in our lives, what do we do? We, we have mile markers. We know, like, okay, I'm going to be in school for this long. Here's when I graduate. I know I have this project to work on when I'm at work, and then this is when I'm done, and then relief comes again, right? Whatever it may be, we know as we're expecting a child, okay, it's going to last for this long, or as we're raising children, perhaps it'll last this long, maybe into the mid-20s, early 30s, but this is how long I think this is supposed to last, right? We have this exists in our world, too, right? It, it, for those of us who live in, in, uh, here in, in Illinois, we know that there are four seasons, there's a changing, and in this season of spring, there's that weird point, right? Where some days it's like, all right, I think summer's here, I think the season has shifted, and then other days you're like, oh no, 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 this doesn't even feel like spring, this just feels like winter, what's happening right now? And I think sometimes that's exactly what this season has felt like of the in-between. It's like, okay, we're, we're back but we're now fully back. There's some normalcy, but not total normalcy. We, we get used to these seasons that come, ebb, and flow for us. General Stockdale, who was a high-up-ranking officer, who was a POW in Vietnam for seven years, one of the few survivors that we have with us today from the encampment that he was at in Nam, he was asked in an interview recently the question who made it out as POWs? Like, who are the kind of people? What, what did it take to make it out? And his response back was, that's easy, he said. The optimist. Christmas would come and go, and they thought, for sure, we'll be out by Easter. But they wouldn't. He said, and despair would set in, and ultimately, that was what got them in the end. The optimist. Interesting, right? I mean, we, we always tell each other, be positive, think good thoughts, it's almost over. Here's the one that's going to be done. But sometimes we don't know. I think grief is often like that too, right? I mean, we tell people, oh, it'll be better in six months. It'll be better in a year. Like, 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 it won't hurt as much. And quite frankly, grief doesn't work that way either. And we've talked about that during this whole sermon series, is that there are many things we can grieve. And grief is often a sick cycle, right? It, it often comes in waves and sometimes in the most unexpected ways. Grief is never just a season. It's a state of being, and I think for many of us, we've had to adjust to that in this season of our lives. Seasons, when I think about them also, we have the seasons of the church calendar, which is something that I I find interesting in the church, because like on Easter Sunday, this Sunday can be exciting and exceptional, because there's been this build, there's been this wait, it's not just a normal Sunday, and the ideas of the church calendar are interesting because it starts with the four weeks of Advent, right? This build to Christmas, and we light a candle each week, and the light grows. And then the Christ candle's lit on Christmas Eve. And then we have epiphany after that for a period of time that leads us then to ordinary time. Ordinary time is often when we just teach about the life of Jesus and his life on the earth, or we spend time in the Hebrew Bible. And then you have Lent, what we've spent the last 40 days doing, and Lent leads us then to Easter, here we are now, but guess what, Easter in the church calendar is not just one day, it's 50 days, it's called Tide. and yesterday Austin was mentioning how I was like, oh, you're going to have to take on all your Easter decorations tomorrow, and I said, no, no, they're, they're staying up, because I'm going to celebrate this as a season, I need hope right now, I need a season of hope and joyfulness, and all these decorations make me happy. We're going we're to celebrate the season of Eastertide for 50 days. And what we're going to do here at Imago is for 50 days, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to observe the season of Eastertide by doing a, th- a series on theology of the body. I think a lot of us have been taught a lot of things about our bodies. Um, and it's interesting, I, I particularly was taught that my spirit was good, my flesh was bad. And that there was nothing good in my body, but all that was good was my spirit which was the spirit of God that was placed inside of me. And I was always in battle with the flesh and the spirit. And there's a lot of conversation you see in Scripture about this when Paul talks about resisting his own desires and how it's his flesh that makes him do this, but his spirit that makes him not want to do certain things. I think we've been taught a lot about that, and I think there's some good imagery in that, but also I think it's created a lot of harm for us, has it not? It's made us sometimes disassociate from our bodies, hate our bodies, be angry with our bodies, hate ourselves and our own tendencies or temptations, so I, what, what if we take the next 50 days of Eastertide and we enter into it beginning today, exploring what does it mean for Jesus to have incarnated God's self in a body? I mean, if bodies are bad, then why would God put God's self in a body? If bodies make us do bad things, then why is it that when Jesus was in a body, Jesus didn't do bad things? I don't think it's our bodies that we're at war with that are bad and evil that we somehow need to disregard or resist in some ways. I think it's something so much more beyond that. So what if we explore what it looks like for not just Jesus' body to be pre-resurrected, but for these bodies, made of dust and water, filled with the same Holy Spirit of of everyone, made in the Imago Dei for the next 50 days, entering into this season of Lent. Seasons, they, they come, they go, They help us tell time. They help us keep going, quite frankly. And in this season that we see in our text today, Mary and the other disciples have gotten used to a season of about three years where they journey with Jesus. They've gotten to know him. They've gotten close to him. They have certain expectations of him and his life. And at 33, his life comes to a surprising and abrupt end. This was not the way the season was supposed to end. This was not what they had vision or they had hoped for their time of following Jesus. I mean, maybe if Jesus had told them when they left all their lives behind to go follow him that, hey, this is only a three-year contract, like, maybe they would have been like, ah, uh, maybe we shouldn't, take follow you. But he didn't tell them that because we often don't know how the journey ahead follows. And we also didn't, real, they didn't realize that they could continue on the journey even without Jesus in the way in flesh and body that they had before so Jesus brutally assassinated on Good Friday, as we just celebrated or observed, I should say, he placed into a tomb, and then on this Easter, first Easter morning, Mary comes to the tomb early. We had an Easter sunrise service. It's the first sunrise service I've ever participated in. i don't ever never woken up on a Sunday before this, the, 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 the S-U-N rises. And I got here, and it was quite moving to think about the idea that Mary would come To see the S-O-N rise as the S-U-N rise is so cheesy, but I had to. I just had to. I mean, it's just right there on the table to take. She comes, and some scholars think that maybe she was coming that day to the tomb early that morning to put spices on Jesus' body, but I don't think that's accurate because there was a rock, a huge rock in front of the tomb, and one person by themselves could not have pushed that rock away. I don't think she was there to add spices for his burial and decomposition. Now, I think she was there for her own decomposition of her own grief. I think she came that day to just simply sit where his body lied and to grieve that this season did not end the way she would anticipated, and the next season she had no idea how it was going to play out. Wondering and trying to put together all of the things he had said in our story we heard read today, it tells us that they did not understand until this moment what Jesus had meant when he said that he, would, he must rise from the dead. In this moment, surely she was running through all the things Jesus had said, trying to put it together, make sense of how this season in no way ended the way she had anticipated it. Grieving and just overwhelmed, she reaches the tomb, but the tomb is not as she anticipated. To add to her grief, the stone is rolled away, and she, as she peers in, the body she has come to grieve over is not there immediately assuming someone must have come and stolen the one place where I can come to grieve and hold all that this season has brought. She's so baffled by this, she runs back and she tells Simon Peter and the other disciples what happened. So they all come running. They all come running to the tomb to try to figure it out, to piece it together, to Sherlock Holmes this moment. And as they're lingering and looking into the tomb to see the linens laying there, the disciples kind of look around and they're trying to maybe see can they find any places where perhaps the body was dragged and his feet were moved along that they could follow those tracks perhaps to where Jesus' body is taken. They look around at the grave clothes to see if there's any evidence or anything that would maybe help them figure out where did he go and why in the world would they fold up his headcloth and lay it on top of the stone. These robbers sure did take a lot of time in detail here, they run back, return back to life as normal, but there's one person that's left there at the grave that day, Mary. The passage tells us, but Mary stayed. Mary stays alone at the grave, crying. As the other disciples wander off into the woods, the deafening silence of being alone at the grave, where Jesus' body, once it laid, falls upon her ears once more. The Bible tells us that there at the entrance of the grave she just lets it all loose and just cries and grieves. But this time when she looks into the grave the silence of being left alone at the tomb to grieve is filled with the light at the end of the tomb. And there's two angels. And they ask, why are you crying? And with this, there stands Jesus. And perhaps Jesus His resurrected body didn't look quite as she anticipated, or perhaps her eyes were so filled with tears that he looked like this mirage of a picture behind us of Jesus that was painted during our Art and Spirituality series. Perhaps in this moment, she clears her eyes just enough after she hears him say, Mary, that all of a sudden as she clears her eyes, he no longer looks like a mirage through her tears, but he looks like the risen Christ. But he can't be, and so she clears it again. But it is. But it is. It's fascinating to me to think that it's because Mary stayed at the tomb with her grief content on just real and and sitting with her pain and her body and the pain that this season brought not worried about running off and trying to figure out what to do next or where his body might have gone but just sitting with the own pain her own pain of what this season has brought it is because mary sat with her pain and her grief that she is the first one to see jesus she is the first one who is allowed to take her joy i mean her pain and her sadness and it is immediately turned to joy while at the same time living in the tension of great pain and sorrow to have watched what it looked like for government-sanctioned violence to play out upon Jesus, she also stops and she looks and realizes that her pain, it lasted for a moment. But it was still there. She had still witnessed a brutal murder. She had still gone through all the waves of grief. So mixed with sadness and joy, she's mixed in this weird season of the in-between of the, yes, he's risen, but the not yet. Yes, he's risen, but this still happened to me and this still happened to him. And although he's risen, it doesn't take the sadness and the grief and the pain that I have cried over this hurt. Easter's a weird day because it's filled with both the grief of, of the consequences of unnecessary government sanctioned violence but we'll also filled with the joy and hope because of death does not have the last word. What if we come out of this season of the wilderness over the last six weeks of Lent asking the question, how have we been changed as we come out of the isolation the tombs of our own grief have created? The pandemic's not over yet. Some of us lost our jobs during this pandemic. And even after the pandemic is over, we may not have our job yet. And while others feel like that season moved on, we may still feel like we're still right here waiting for this season in our lives to shift. Some of us have lost loved ones and not been given the opportunity to grieve in community, which is one of the best ways to grieve because it allows us to not feel alone in it. And yet, funerals and deaths has felt so sparse and isolated during this time. While the pandemic moves on, some of us are still left like Mary feeling Sad about the pain and sorrows that have come to us during this time and the ways we were not given the opportunity to grieve in normal ways. Some of us have lost precious quality time with loved ones. Some of us didn't get to have the weddings or the births we envisioned with the people around us that we had hoped as we brought new life into the world or as we committed our lives to two people, to another. Some of us grieve trips in community. Living in the tension of Easter is living with both the pain that exists and the joy that there is that will, this will be overcome, that this does not have the final word. In Mary's grief, she embraces Jesus, and Jesus' response is kind of jarring, isn't it? Jesus' response is, don't cling to me, for I haven't ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. In essence, Jesus is saying here, Mary, don't, don't, don't cling to my flesh, because I'm only back for 50 days. He's not giving her all the details, as Jesus often doesn't do with any of us, never gives us the full story, just what we need in the moment. Don't cling too tightly to my flesh as you're hugging me because I am going to leave you again, and it's going to hurt again. I'm here now, but it's going to be hard when I'm gone again. Because we know that on Pentecost, which we will celebrate in 50 days, at the end of our body series, the Holy Spirit comes. I should reverse and say, Jesus was here for 40 days, and then on the 50th day, the Spirit comes. And so he's saying, don't cling to me too tightly, for I'm, I'm going to leave again. But, but I want to tell you something. You may not have my flesh to comfort you, but I'm going to send my Spirit to comfort you. This time I was gone for three days, and you felt so isolated and alone. You didn't know what was next. You didn't know what the plan was. There was no spirit to comfort you. But this time, this time when I go, it will not be indefinitely. I will just send myself through my spirit in a different way. And it will provide comfort not just to you and to the 12 who surround me, but it will provide comfort to all people through all time who will have the same access to me that you have been privileged to have over the last three years. He's, he's managing expectations. He's, he's holding her grief with her while also not giving her a false sense of it. As so we wrap up this message this morning for Easter, I, I want us to contemplate and consider the ways in which Jesus is calling us to temper and to paste ourselves, to, to realize that in every season of our life, it's quite frankly often a place of in-between. In every season of our life, we are always balancing the tension of He is risen, but He may be leaving soon. He is risen, but I don't know what's next. He is risen, but everything seems so unknown. He is risen, but my life now isn't anything like my life was then. He is risen, but living in the tension of what was and what will be and what is always exists. It never wipes it all away. Life is often like the Mirage picture of Jesus, so out of focus, yet if you focus enough, just enough to ground you. I was thinking just this last week about how I learned to ride a bike. My cousins uh, who lived in uh, uh, Hampshire, Illinois. it was a rural area they only had was gravel roads. They always had to come to my grandma's house to learn how to ride a bike because you can't really learn how to ride a bike on gravel road. It doesn't go too well. Trying to balance. And so they would come to my grandma's and they would learn how to ride a bike. And so while they were learning how to ride a bike, I asked my older cousin, will you teach me how to ride a bike too? And I can remember, you know, having those training wheels, just driving down 100 Sweet Briar Court, doing okay, balanced, great, this is wonderful, right? And then the season came, Went, all right, now we're going to take these off. We took the training wheels off, and I drove. And you all know what happens, right? You crash. You hit the hard grass, maybe off to the side, or the the edge of the pavement, or perhaps maybe somebody catches you. But I kept doing this, and and of course, I was getting scared. I was like, you know what? This is too painful. This is really not a skill I need in my repertoire. Like, I'm fine. I'm actually a fast runner. I can just run alongside my friends when they ride their bikes. I don't really need to do this, you know. And, but, but reality was my cousin Caleb, who was younger than me, he figured it out really quick, and he took off. Well, of course, I'm upset because I'm like, well, he's younger, and he can ride the bike. I want to ride the bike like that. And so all of a sudden, everything changed. i got to figure out how to do this. And I'll, I'll always remember in my mind... The moment I took off and I didn't fall and I was able to stop on my own without someone stopping me and get off and get back on and do it again without the fear of maybe I'd fall again. The seasons of life, right? The seasons of life, I I learned this skill and, and and I ebbed and flowed back and forth between I'm too afraid, I don't know, I know how to do it, I don't know how to do it, I know how to do it, I'm not sure how to do it. And then when I got to middle school and high school, my mom was like, you have a bike. I don't need to drive you anywhere. You can just, if it's a few miles, if it's 10 miles away, you could totally do that. And so my mom would have me ride my bike a lot of places because she thought it was good for me. And it's good to be outside and you can do that. And so when I, when I turned 16 and I got my license, you know what I did with my bike? I took it and I threw it off the river in the, fo- the Fox River. And I said, I'm never riding a bike again. I've ridden that thing everywhere. I can drive now. I'll never ride a bike. I'm done with it. I hope somebody found that and made some use of it. <laughs> but then I, in my, in my mid-twenties, I moved to Evanston, Illinois, and his beautiful bike path along the lake. And I realized in that season, you know what? I, I maybe kind of want to ride a bike just for fun, just to enjoy it. Not because I have to. And then I moved here, and I sold it because I lived in Washington. Where am I going to ride my bike in Washington? And now I move back to Peoria, and guess what I'm doing again? I'm looking for a bike. This is a weird story to describe something, but what I want you to see and understand is this, is that life and inflows. Who you are, what you think you want, what you think you need, what you think life will be or what life is or what was, always is changing. It's always adjusting. And guess what? We're always adjusting to it. I can't help but be reminded, and I've said this before, over and over again, how my grandma is a constant reminder to me, of how life sometimes doesn't play out the way you anticipated. She's 82, and she gets so frustrated with how much she forgets. This isn't how she pictured the end of her life, and when we talk about what the coming days and years will look like, she gets so frustrated. And I can't help but stop and think about my own life and the own fears that come up for me about what will my life look like at that point. Life is hard and the seasons change and... The holding the tension of grief and joy always exists, and that is exactly what we see play out on this Easter Sunday. The tensions of joy and grief, the tensions of I am risen, but I won't be here forever. I am risen, you have me in flesh, but eventually you'll only have me in spirit. I am risen, I am back, but my life will not play out and your life will not play out quite as you maybe had envisioned or thought when you signed up. Jesus offers her that words of assurance and says, I will send my comforter. I will send my comforter. Invite the worship team to come. I'll close with this, this last story that I heard this last week. Senator Warnock, who was just recently elected, was being interviewed on the Daily, the New York Times podcast this week. He describes a really beautiful story of um, after winning the election, walking out the front door of his home and through his neighborhood. And he said as he was walking through his neighborhood, there was this person who, had, who, who, who could clearly see that he recognized who he was. This person got very excited that this person lived in their neighborhood that the senator lived in their neighborhood Senator Warnock said he he went back into his house a little while later and uh, he heard the doorbell ring he opens the door and there was the nine year old boy who he had passed on the street with his older brother he had a sign in his hands that had Senator Warnock's picture on it and he just said Senator Warnock can I get your signature on this? Senator Warnock signed the poster and gave it back to him. Closed the door and the boy, he watched out the window just kind of jumped for joy. Senator Warnock reflected on that in the interview and he said, boy, that made the whole campaign worth it. That a little black boy in my neighborhood would see me and know that I lived in his neighborhood and would say, that's what I could be one day to know the joy that that little boy had to see a black senator in his neighborhood gave that child a vision for the future that maybe he hadn't envisioned before. I think the joy and the tension of Easter is living in the ways in which the resurrection holds our grief and our pain about what was or what we may never think will be or what we could never envision for ourselves a way forward but it also holds the joy. The joy that in Christ's resurrection so much happens in our own lives and our own beings and our own hearts that maybe are even beyond our own comprehension or understanding that we had never even asked, thought, dreamed, or imagined. Jesus' resurrection is a reminder to us that Easter is living in the tension of what was, what is, and what will be. It doesn't take away all the pain or the sorrow, but it reminds us The story is an ever-folding mirage that sometimes gets clearer and clearer the closer we get to see Christ in eternity. Amen.